During an election year, the legislature's sessions can be somewhat subdued. I guess nobody wants to rock the boat too much in a year when candidates will be defending their seats in front of voters. But here in Michigan, we do have some updates for you with what's going on in Lansing. Some state laws that were passed last session are coming into effect. Governor Whitmer signing a series of bills into law aimed at preventing gun violence. And there are some policies that people are asking their legislators to move on. Today we're turning toward Lansing and looking at what you need to know about, from auto no-fault to gun regulations, and some news about a lawmaker who was recently disciplined for social media. This is Stateside. I'm April Baer. First, let's get an auto no-fault update. In 2019, Democratic and Republican leaders from the state House and Senate passed bills that made some dramatic changes to Michigan's no-fault law, and Governor Whitmer signed them. The governor said that the bills would lower car insurance rates and make insurance more affordable, especially for Detroiters. What she didn't say is how the changes would take many forms of long-term care away from car crash survivors with catastrophic injuries. We actually did a whole podcast series about this called Collision Course, if you haven't been following this issue and you want to know more. Survivors of car crashes have started a new campaign to try to convince the state legislature to amend the law and restore their care. Michigan Radio's Tracy Samilton is with us today. Hey, Tracy, first off, can you refresh our memories about how these changes took care away from folks? Yeah, I'll just uh, recap a little here. The no-fault law that was passed in 2019 cut payments for many kinds of long-term care like residential rehab facilities, home care aides, they cut it by 45%. So that meant all of a sudden insurance companies were paying these providers less than it cost the providers to actually provide the care for catastrophically injured patients. Many of these people have traumatic brain injuries or spinal cord injuries or both. Providers started going out of business or just telling survivors they couldn't afford to keep caring for them. Thousands of people lost their care, and some people died as a result. Now, people who were injured before the law passed, they sued, and Michigan Supreme Court said they were still eligible for what we call reasonable and customary care paid at 2019 rates. But anyone who was injured after the law went into effect is subject to these fee caps. That's at least 5,000 people at this point, and it grows by about 1,000 additional survivors each year. So, Tracy, those fee caps, the state Senate had actually passed bills to increase the fee caps to try to give every catastrophic crash survivor access to the same care. But, okay, that was back in October. What's happened since then to these these bills? Well, they landed in the House Insurance Committee, which is chaired by Democrat Brenda Carter. And it looks like Representative Carter is not going to allow these bills to get a hearing. Now, she has been saying she has her own idea how to restore long-term care, but advocates for survivors and care providers and the state senators who sent her their bills, they say she hasn't told them anything about what her idea entails. So uh, frustrated survivors and family members have kicked off a campaign 
to ask her to give the Senate bills a hearing. Now, this is from their press release. For years, Brenda Carter told us she would fight for our families. We believed her. Now it feels like she's only listening to the big insurance companies. We've had enough, and we're going to start calling her out by name. So they kicked off this campaign at her re-election fundraiser in Pontiac, and they put flyers on the cars of everyone who attended. They had a QR code on them. Each one links to a different TikTok with the theme of Where's Brenda Carter? Here is one. You see a a family member of a crash survivor, and she's holding this big stack of bills. Well, it says I have unlimited insurance, and it's supposed to cover all of the therapies. Then why all these bills? She throws the bills on the floor. Where are you, Brenda Carter? Wow. And Brenda Carter's response to this campaign, Tracy? Well, her office said they could not get me a response by my deadline. I have been trying to get an interview with her for months, and uh, I have failed to get a a response from her. I I had an initial interview. She rescheduled it five times until her office said, you know what, we're just going to send you this little statement. Tracy, is Brenda Carter the only one in the Senate who has reservations about these bills? By no means. Uh, But advocates tell me they're focusing on one roadblock at a time, and they think her committee is the first roadblock. Now, another big opponent of the bills is the Department of Insurance and Financial Services, and they claim the bills are going to increase insurance rates, even though they told me they don't know by how much. What about Governor Whitmer and all this? I remember in 2019 when she signed the auto no-fault reform, she said, The bills aren't perfect and would need to be amended. Has she said anything about the Senate bills? You know, it appears that she's just letting her agency, the DIFF's agency, take the lead here to oppose the bills. She has occasionally expressed rather tepid support for doing something for survivors. But that's about as far as it goes. And I know a lot of survivors and care providers and no-fault attorneys feel really personally betrayed by the governor on this issue. Uh, Here's Maureen Howell. She's the mother of a pre-2019 crash survivor, and she's an advocate for people who can't get the same good long-term care that her son can. We have seen our governor, when she really cares about something, be an incredibly strong governor, to be a forceful governor and get the job done. If she truly cared about these people who are our, our most vulnerable citizens in Michigan and are injured at a rate of 1,000 a year, she would have gotten the job done. Tracy, I know a lot of your reporting has to do with the law's impact on crash survivors. But can we just back up for a minute to that premise that it was also going to lower our car insurance, maybe especially for Detroiters? What's happened with that? Well, there have been some savings. The average per vehicle savings on our car insurance, this is average, about $24 a year. Now, insurance companies claim that more Detroiters have insurance, but there's no way to independently verify that. So you have to figure if you're in Detroit and you were paying 3000 or $4,000 a year for car insurance, and that's not an unusual amount, is saving $25 a year going to make much difference? Even if you save a few hundred, and some people are saving a few hundred, most Detroiters I speak with do not think that car insurance is affordable. Michigan Public's Tracy Samilton. Tracy, thank you. Glad to be here. 
We need to take a break. When we come back, we'll get into new gun regulations and talk about a legislator on blast after a racist social media post. Stay with us. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Support for the stateside podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. In addition to potential auto no-fault amendments, there's some other significant news out of Lansing. Rick Pluta covers the Capitol for the Michigan Public Radio Network, and he's going to help break it down for us. Hey, Rick. Hi, April. I want to start with a, a sort of an HR matter. Representative Josh Shriver from Oxford Township, a Republican, uh, got a slap on the wrist this week. House Speaker Joe Tate took action to punish him because of a social media post that Shriver shared. Can you explain what happened last week that upset the speaker? Um, Representative Josh Shriver, like you said, a Republican from Oxford, um, reshared a tweet that um, was about a, a racist theory regarding uh, the population that there is a high level conspiracy amongst elites to replace uh, white people with non white people, which is why it is called the uh, replacement, uh, the great replacement theory. Right. And again, this was a reshare, but uh, he did give it another platform through his followers. He did. And, and it was a it was a, a, a sympathetic reshare. You know, it, it wasn't a how dare they. You know, it was, you know, it, it, it seemed to be an endorsement. So how did Speaker Tate react? Um, You know, took a few days, but said that this is offensive. It's offensive to the House. And so, you know, this this requires an action. So he was removed from uh, his committees that his office allotment was um, taken away, which means that his staff has been taken over by the clerk of the of the House. Um, he will still have a space where he can work, but the typical activities of a state representative's office constituent calls and things like that are now being managed by the House clerk. Hey, Rick, how long does a punishment like this, does this mean for the rest of the session or for the rest of Shriver's time in the House? Uh, that is uh, um, you know, anything that goes on lasts through the, you know, lasts through the session. Uh, what happens, you know, in, in the next term would be something else, including, you know, whether or not Shriver will be will be reelected. But uh, it is an indefinite period. It's at the discretion of the speaker. And so, you know, at, at some point in the future, the speaker could also lift the sanctions. OK, switching gears toward policy. There were some gun laws that were passed last year that just became active this week. It has been one year since the shooting and lockdown at Michigan State University that left three students dead. Can you remind us what the new laws do? Um, there is a universal background checks, which is somewhat redundant with federal law, but uh, it, it, it does expand it a little bit at the uh, at the state level. 
Um, there are requirements for safe storage that when a gun is not in use, that it be in a gun storage cabinet and locked up where other people cannot get at it. Uh, trigger locks are, are also um, a possibility. Um, and, and there's also, and, and this is one of the more controversial ones, is the extreme risk uh, protection orders. When someone is deemed a threat by a family member, uh, someone who has some association with the person, law enforcement, that they can go and get an emergency order to uh, temporarily confiscate their weapons, which eventually there would have to be a hearing. But, uh, you know, still front, the idea is to get guns away from person, you know, from from uh, someone who may be a threat to um, other people, but also their, you know, themselves, that it's uh, a suicide prevention measure, among other things. Rick, there were members of the House Republican Caucus who were not happy about this. Have you heard any word of a possible legal challenge for any of these gun restrictions? Um, yeah, that that is being pondered by gun rights groups, that uh, they're consulting with lawyers. One of the big challenges is finding someone who can claim a specific harm that judges and courts typically don't uh take a sympathetic view of someone saying that, well, I may be harmed by this or, you know, people in general may be harmed on this. So you need a client who can show up in court and say, this is how I specifically have been treated unfairly. So that means, you know, waiting maybe until someone can say, look, my firearms were removed from my possession and they didn't need to be, that my rights were violated. And you want to do that in a way that not only passes muster in, in a court, but doesn't offend the public either, because obviously there are political considerations as well. The one and only Rick Pluta, Capital Correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network. Hey, Rick, thanks. Oh, thank you. And that's the Stateside Podcast for today. I'm April Bear. You can find full Stateside episodes at michiganpublic.org when you're ready for more listens. Today's pod was produced by Rachel Ishikawa. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Ronia Kabansag, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our intern is Olivia Meradian. Our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Our pod music comes from Blue Dot Sessions and from Audio Network. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Hi, I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.